Hi and welcome to the Imperial Sports Business Podcast where we aim to demystify careers in the sports industry by engaging in conversations with leaders and innovators working in sports and industries adjacent to sports. So join us as we dive deep into stories, insights and experiences that make the business of sports an exhilarating and ever-evolving field. Today we have uh, here with us Daniel, the founder of Homepains, a marketplace that brings together sports fans through authentic experiences. Welcome Daniel, it's a pleasure to have you here with us. It would be great if we can just start off with a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. Thank you, Bruna, and, and thank you, Ishan. Pleased to be here. Well, I'll tell you a bit about myself. I'm Daniel, I'm Colombian originally but I've been living in the UK now for some years, so part British. Um, and my background uh, back in my home country was in management consultancy. I worked there for almost seven years, most uh, specifically in the business development, sales, and a bit of R&D in management consultancy. Uh, I even co-founded there two firms that were in the space. My my focus was in HR. I didn't love it, but I learned a lot, let's say, in terms of the management consultancy landscape business environment. However, deep inside of me, I always wanted to do something with the industry. So halfway through when I was uh, climbing up the ladder in the corporate world, I wanted to quit uh, and just study something around sports. And I'm telling you that back then it wasn't as common and as varied as today. I'm talking 2008, nine. Uh, and after several negotiations, I kind of accepted that I would stay at my job, but I was allowed to study something that was, had nothing to do with, with the company back then. So I started uh, uh, taking part in a hybrid sports management masters that I did. It really, I really loved it. I was back and forth between Europe and Latin America and really, really opened up the opportunities back then even uh, of, of the industry that was way smaller than it was today. However, based on the agreement, I couldn't just leave, you know, because they sponsor my, my masters. So I kept there, I grew. I actually then started uh, co-founding other companies in the same space. But then there was a time where I say, okay, it's now or nothing, I guess. So I quit everything, sold everything and moved to the UK to study something else because not being a European, I couldn't just come. Uh, so I studied another master's, but with the idea of more to think. After that, and I'll, I'll finish my personal story. I went thanks to the UK system through the entrepreneurial path in terms of uh, visa, et cetera. So I had some ideas, initial ideas uh, that were approved, let's say, by the, the university, et cetera, in terms of what I wanted. It was related with sports. Uh, and I started sort of, you know, um, bringing those ideas into life. But that wasn't HomeFans yet, actually. HomeFans started out uh, a few years later uh, when I met my co-founder. So. As part of one of the ideas that I have, I was developing, uh, it was more about bringing people together through sports tech, bringing the ecosystem together uh, in Manchester, actually where I was living first. And, uh, and, and I met him 
by scouting new ideas, you know, new, new things that I was really keen into. We were segmenting different sub verticals. So there's fan engagement, there's, uh, well, I can remember now, like, uh, really analytics and gaming, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, I stumbled upon Luke, my co-founder who started to praise or preach a bit more about his idea with, without a concept first or a company. And, uh, I invited him to, to this, uh, sort of meetup talk, sort of talk in a way that we had different uh, panelists of that vertical and kind of engagement. And it really struck with me because long story short, Luke is a Dutch national who follows Man United. Uh, and he started coming to Manchester as a kid first with his dad and then with friends. And he had everything sorted. He knew how to get the tickets, the flights, the accommodation, everything. And he followed uh, the similar, the same routine every now and then, you know, going to the, the hotel, then buying something to eat, uh, going to the match, having a great time, and then going to for someone to drink, eat, etc. But as time went by, he started meeting locals, just because you start meet, to start meet people. And uh, it completely changed his whole outlook or view of, of the whole event. And it started to become more important, the people he met, the stories he heard, the chants he sang, rather than the mm. performance on the pitch. And he thought, okay, this is something new to me. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that uh, if we, or if he in that case, I can share this with more people, this would resonate with a lot of people like me. Because back then there was nothing out there that really emphasized on that connection or that experiential component of going to a city just to watch a sports event or whatever. Right. So he picked, so he, he shared that story and instantly clicked with me while I was organizing that and having other businesses, let's say, uh, had another business in more in fun engagement, analytics and research, uh, that, that was my, my first company. And, was uh, that, and, uh, uh, yeah. Was that fun box? Yeah, that, that was, we worked right. with several, uh, several fun organizations and supporters clubs and yeah around analytics and, and research around the involvement of the fans it, it worked well on a b2b mm. basis but mm -hmm. i really really wanted to to do something you know a bit more broader and and actually i quit fanbox to focus on home fans but i'm <laughs> moving ahead in the story but when but, i when i listened to to luke's story uh it really clicked with me because i had a similar yet different event or circumstance back then when i followed colombia many years back out to the world cup in brazil i went with my dad and uh we had a a need and the need was we had the ticket sorted but we didn't have the accommodation sorted so we decided to go with locals because my dad through his work knew people he worked all, all across latin america and he knew someone one person in sao paulo and that person helped us sort of connect us with different people in all the cities where Colombia play. So we sort of sorted out the need of the accommodation. That's not the business model of HomeFans or whatever, but let's say that on top of a great experience of the World Cup because Colombia did well, et cetera, what struck or what stayed with us, both father and son, was that sort of element of the locals, all the really nice stories that we had and the bonding it created between my dad and me it sounds a bit cheesy but 
it really, really, when I, I listen to Luke, yeah, it's like, okay, actually, I, I also experienced that, you know? So uh, to bring it forward, like what we did with Home Funds was to materialize that and, and put together those needs into a solution that addresses not only the opportunity or the added value of the experiential component or bringing people together through sports, but also addresses other needs that we can discuss later on in terms of, you know, the problem that people sometimes have when going to a destination and it happens in other sort of verticals or in other aspects of travel. Like sometimes you don't know where to go, where to eat, etc. Well, the same is with sports events. You don't know where to go, what to do, where to find the, the tickets, etc. So we, we try to address that. And we started with an um, initial model that was quite successful, uh, that basically focused on the best games around the world uh, in mm -hmm. football with the experiential component. And that's why the company was named after the fans, so home fans. So basically the innovative element that we did back then, because that was our first business model that we then we pivoted into the marketplace, was that we emphasized a lot on the experiential component. So in really in, in a nutshell, if you would go to the Manchester Derby, you would go with a Manchester United local who would go with you throughout the weekend, different activities, where to eat, where to go for the pre-match. You know, I'm going to show you around different landmarks of the way from the Old Trafford tram station up to the, the stadium, etc., etc. So you have a bit of an experience as a local rather than just a tourist or someone that's just there for, you know, the ticket. It worked out pretty, pretty well up until a, a point where demand exceeded the supply because we focused mostly on the bigger games, not all the games. And that's when we started thinking, okay, there must be a way that we can scale this up and not relying only on, on you know, on this type of events or the profile of the event. And that's when we pivoted into the, the marketplace. Um, to finish up this story and then we can dive deep into the marketplace. The only downside was that we changed it in the heart of COVID actually. So we pivoted the, the company just when COVID started and then we had to sort of not shut it down because we continue operating, but basically focusing more on building the whole platform and the whole sort of foundations of the business and started operating slowly in 20, mid 2021. And after 2022, when restrictions eased, we started building the marketplace. And fortunately, right now we're on a really, really upward uh, sort of trajectory. Best, best year ever, best month after best month ever. And growth, we've seen really a sustainable growth, but also really interesting metrics. So we're really happy that it's taken off in just the second year of existence as the marketplace, because for us, the marketplace is. Uh, for like a square one sort of standpoint as home. Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting because it sounds like even though Corona was an adverse time, it actually gave you guys the room to kind of take a step back, work on the marketplace, really invest on the tech and then be able to roll out afterwards, right? Right. No, nonetheless, we, we had to do stuff. We couldn't just stay in the back. So we, we tested the marketplace initially with virtual tours 
that was mm -hmm. interesting for the functionality of the platform to test supply and demand. We recruited a lot of supply as well. And right now I'm telling you two years after or two and a half years after that was a mistake because we started recruiting everywhere and people were at their homes doing nothing. They were really mm. enthusiastic about the idea of actually sharing their love for their club or passion plus making money. And a lot of people, you know, from Argentina till Mexico, because we left the US aside, although we had in the US actually, but now the US it's something bigger that we want to tackle afterwards up to different parts of Northern Africa and the whole Europe and parts of Asia, we had people. And then when we when restrictions ease and we started operating the marketplace, we realized that we couldn't service all these people because when you build a marketplace, you need to build liquidity and density and that is generally done on a constrained basis. You have to really, really focused rather than just spread out. There are some, a handful of examples of marketplaces that start everywhere but it's really, really difficult to create supply and match it with demand all at the same time all around the world. So actually the, the, the COVID time helped us for that. But at the same time, unfortunately, when we first started focusing the model and growing more on a focus level, we started losing out some people that say, okay, listen, I'm here in, I don't know, in Bulgaria and you're not paying attention to me, of course, because we're not building mm. a marketplace in Bulgaria. We're building it in some parts of Latin America or, yeah. or Europe. What, even. what kind of support is HomeFins actually giving to the supplier, right? Because I'm imagining, as you're saying, marketplace, and correct me if, I, if my imagination is wrong, I'm kind of picturing an Airbnb that mm -hmm. is kind of focused on events. So then you would have hosts that are there yep. and then folks that want to be hosted, right? And... What is what what does HomeFence do besides connecting them? How does it work? So just to clarify on that, the marketplace connects mostly travelers going to destination looking for things to do, not only mm -hmm. because of sport, looking for things to ah, do. And that's okay. a very important statement with locals or clubs or even companies that offer those sports experiences. Okay. And I'm telling telling you this because our vision is to create or develop an underserviced vertical that we label the sports experience vertical. Mm. Right now, and travel especially, this is a bit more far from from sports. Travel has the experiences as the key thing. Activities and tours are the third largest vertical of travel uh, after flights and hotels. And you know the the trend that people want experiences rather than things, and you see it with I don't know if it's happened to you guys personally. It happened to me, but in general, people when they go somewhere else, they 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 don't necessarily search for the mass tourism, you know, tours, etc. They want yeah. something a bit more sort of bespoke or uh, personalized to your tastes or what you want. So usually, let's say in my in my case, when I go for a weekend break, not necessarily for sport. I tend to look for stuff to, you know, like good places to eat or a specific, you know, experiences. So it's the same, but we want to really tap into the sports component because right now there's not a player that aggregates or concentrates, you know, the maximum number of inventory of that. The product yeah. itself, it's basically, it, it, the most important one is going to a match, so mm -hmm. an event with a local, having the whole experience around it so imagine like what look or 
or me experience when we have we had our personal experiences sorry for being redundant uh and it encompasses you know meeting that person getting to another person the friends or the, the the fellow fans going to the pub uh food a bit of sightseeing culture and then going to the stadium with a ticket so uh, home fans uh, sorry sorry yeah I'm, I'm just curious to know how are you then sort of curating these experiences and also sort of verifying these experiences to make sure that the people are serving them are good and and do you see then let's say more potential in growing a p2p sort of experience model or is there more scope and say partnering with the manchester united and getting going down that route and and getting um sort of yeah more big players on board good, good question and it was kind of what i was gonna gonna say so the role of of the marketplace is basically to make sure that things run correctly and we're also the i would call it the sales platform for all the hosts or the supply to get obviously the demand so what we do and we have to strive for the best is to find the, the right host so we have betting processes in place uh and it's a uh, simple but it's not difficult it's difficult let's say or not that easy to become a host on home fans it's not that you just sign up and instantly you have you know the the product ready as you do in some other places like airbnb or whatever no you, you have to make sure that you are who you say you are that for instance in terms of you know the tickets the affiliation with the club or the clubs uh you you have some sort of uh you're not scamming basically in in that sense yeah, and yeah. that in terms of ticket access it's clear whether you can access or we should access yeah. because that's something else that we do we we have a a really well established network of ticketing uh so that we connect with the clubs directly or through different mm -hmm. tech sort of api connections that we have in the world of ticketing and events that it's mostly b2b where we can access any event around the world uh so we need to know whether the host can do it him or herself or we should step in and and support that and that's something that's verified in that sense and then as a marketplace as i mentioned we follow uh a go-to-market strategy whereby we go on a city by city basis so basically what we do is we allocate all or most of the resources in a specific city that we decide that it, this is where we're gonna land imagine as uber or whatever else you know and then we start building the minimum viable supply which is recruiting you know, word of mouth, uh, paid ads, etc., to recruit people who are, would be interested in sharing their passion and earning income. And and then once we have it, then we start sort of driving demand. And when we match the initial level of demand and we see that it's paired, then we start creating a waterfall effect where we tap into other types of events or properties, we call them. So in other words, if you are, for instance, we are really strong in Latin America and Buenos Aires, if you start in Buenos Aires, you start with Boca and then River, and then probably the other ones that are below, and then it will go up to the point that now we have even second, third division, basketball, polo, etc. So we have a, a whole array of different experiences, but it all started with Boca. Because why? Because Boca is the one that people want the most. So it follows the, the same process. And when that's done, we have people on the ground. So we have a manager in Argentina, we have a manager for Europe, we have a manager for Brazil, because they're huge countries. And what they strive for is to create a sense of community, but also oversee and support everything that is done there from a supply and demand standpoint. So that we make sure that here, Daniel in London doesn't have to deal with someone in Buenos Aires 
or whatever, or, or Sao Paulo, Rio de Janeiro, or Colombia, Mexico, in, when I'm sleeping, for instance, or yeah. actually even being there and getting to know the people in person, that helps a lot. We have a lot of community related elements, you know, mm -hmm. barbecues with the hosts. Uh, we have a super host sort of program where the best ones are recognized and, and rewarded. We still do the trips that we mentioned that I mentioned in the start at the start of the talk, where we do the Manchester Derby or we do the Super Classico or the Belgrade Derby, whatever. And we allocate, you know, those trips we call them to the best or the super host or the best host. So there are different elements there that allow us that the host or the supply is beyond a number. That's nice. Obviously, at scale, there will be more nice challenges to tackle because at scale it might become similar to what bruna mentioned with airbnb but right now we've grown quite considerably and we still keep the personalized element thanks especially to the destination managers as we call them uh, and sorry yeah. but uh, is is there also uh, are you also looking at then partnering with directly with ah, sorry clubs? yeah yeah yes we, we have started to do that in the key in the key destinations uh we see different avenues of growth, and there are three, basically. One is that currently we we label ourselves, and that's the vision of sports experiences, but we have, as, as I mentioned before, with the go-to-market strategy, we constrain geographically and in terms of the sports. So we focus on football because, well, we started with that, with the previous business model, and we know how to do it, and there's still a lot of room to grow there. Uh, that's going to happen and we're going to continue growing geographically with one sport. The second level of growth is multi-sports and we're currently doing. So we're in the key destinations where we're mature, we're starting to offer other sports because there's a maturity in terms of the demand generation and the supply is starting to offer that. In that respect, we have started partnering up with some clubs where we see, okay, we sometimes even have season tickets or have access to special um i mean i'm gonna give you an example in mexico we have a well club that is really crazy but it's really cool that you have a tourist lounge and you can go and watch the game on a hot tub literally at the ground so <laughs> those kind of experiences are really uh out of the box as well or the usual vip or training session etc that actually goes beyond just going to the match right now however the match the experience so as it says, as it, it's labeled, like going to the match is almost 80% of our, all the bookings that we have because people sometimes are just looking for things to do and they see the event as the main thing to do. As if you go to somewhere and go to a concert, you know, instead of visiting yeah. the venue. So you, you, you want to go to the event rather than, you know, around it. But we are seeing some interesting numbers there in that. So multi-sport will open up linked to the event and some sort of related events around it. And the third one is also the category, the product category. Right now, the match the experience has the local led component, but with the aforementioned VIP, you don't necessarily need a local. You can just have a really cool VIP experience or a really unique, more high-end experience that you don't need. I mean, the local could be an add-on rather than the core thing there. You can have uh, athlete experiences as well. But it's something obviously a bit further down the road, but it's the three avenues of growth that we see that makes sense, especially for what we're seeing right now with sports. I don't know if you follow, for instance, Formula One. Formula One is pure mm -hmm. entertainment. We just had the Vegas race and it was a lot of celebrities, a lot of music. 
like like a festival, etc. So this is where we're heading. Like it's not only you know for the hardcore fan, and we love them. That goes to all the all the games, but it's actually for anyone. And we say we want this to be for anyone, anytime, anywhere. You know mm -hmm. that if you're going tomorrow in the future to Melbourne or whatever, which is a really big sports city, <laughs> then maybe you can go to the cricket or the AFL or the Formula One or the horse racing. But that you know that there are different options and probably you haven't even heard of them. I don't know anything mm -hmm. about AFL, but if I go there, I will definitely go. And what best if you can have a really unique experience, you know, hospitality or whatever, or go with a local and have, you know, the proper authentic experience. Yeah, super cool. Daniel, can you uh, tell us which uh, geographies you guys are present on right now? You mentioned being more focused on South America, but seem like you're also in the States. Like, what does it look like at the moment? Yeah, like the States, not necessarily. Now we have a wild card there waiting, which is Miami which we're gonna mm -hmm. roll out in 24 as a city, especially because of the arrival of Messi, but like creating the layers around the other sports. Uh, but that's on hold for now, uh, purposely. We, we wanted to try this uh, end of year or this Q3, Q4, but we decided not to because the arrival of Messi brought increasingly high prices to too much, you know, a bubble around it. So it's gonna stabilize a bit more. But we are really strong in Latin America, particularly in five countries. Uh, well, yeah, five, including Uruguay. So Argentina, Uruguay, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico. Those mm -hmm. are the five key destinations. And in Europe, we're really strong. I mean, we're we're present everywhere, but with them with a sort of go-to-market or what we call the playbook, we're more present in Southern Europe. So Spain, Italy, and mm -hmm. Eastern Europe. But we are we have presence in in the UK, in Germany, and all the let's say from Portugal up to even Turkey, we consider UEFA, we have, you know, all the different offerings, but those offerings are more what we call the minimum viable supply. So in Turkey, we would have six, seven hosts, whereas in Italy, we would have 20, 30, you know, it's, it's more right. about how much size in terms of size we are, are growing and in Latin America, where we first started, because we started there right. uh, as, a, as a destination, we obviously have a larger maturity there especially in Argentina and Brazil. Yeah, makes sense. Um, have you guys ever failed at entering a city? Great question. Yes, uh, not failed, but we learned a lot uh, <laughs> and we adjusted. Uh, I remember that halfway through COVID, really, really, really at the start, we were looking at where, where are the countries that are more open to foreign yeah. travelers. You remember those times where you had to have a permit mm, or whatever or the yes, vaccination. So Mexico was was really open. Uh, you mm -hmm. didn't need anything, I believe, if I can recall. So we started trialing out, but let's say that the combination of restricted travel plus a landscape that was a bit more, for instance, um, dominated by Airbnb experiences in general, made us sort of re rethink that and move down to Argentina and come back later on. And now we have a more sort of strong presence in Mexico City, Guadalajara, Monterrey, et cetera, with, with our offerings. And the main reason was more that given that it was really restricted, basically Americans went down and they were really used to Airbnb. And, mm -hmm. and we, we, we had to learn how to address that especially starting with the supply. So it just didn't work out that well. We say, okay, we're gonna shut this down. We're gonna 
come back to to Argentina. It worked really well. Then we grew Brazil. Then we grew Colombia. And then we grew Mexico. And now with Mexico, having learned that, having learned what we learned in the other geographies with tactics, etc. Now we have uh, Americans a lot there, and also Europeans because those are our, sort of our customer bases. Like we service mostly Westerners, so Europeans and North Americans, and now more permeating into Latin Americans. But the two first ones are the the ninety five percent actually of our client base. Got it. What did you do differently the second time that you went to Mexico? Was it about the mostly, recruitment and figuring out the tactics around recruitment mostly about mm. the the tactics about demand generation because building a marketplace having having lived the sort of tour operator or travel operator sort of era the tour operator era is basically you 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 have to market yourself very inspiring and in the case of home fancy was really that way like you you showed for instance whenever we went to special destinations we would film like a short high quality short film inspire people show them what experiences because it was mostly focused on it never show anything around the game it showed everything around the experience and people you know got inspired or interested and then we had different funnels of marketing where you say okay you have the top of the funnel you're interested etc maybe you come back but let's remarket you etc and continue the story up to, to the point where you kind of ask okay how can i go or I want to know more, etc. So it's very, I'm not going to say it's simple because it's not, but it was very straightforward in the sense that social media and paid ads helped a lot to increase mm -hmm. the reach and bring new customers. Mm -hmm. With the marketplace, it's a plethora of different tactics and you have to <laughs> learn them on the go. Because the most important thing about a marketplace is creating network effects, meaning that every single new user that is added to the platform brings more value. Mm -hmm than the previous mm -hmm. one. So that means that marketplaces, not in all cases, and I'm not an expert, I've learned on the go to be totally honest, but I have a sense now, marketplaces need to really rely in the mid or long term on mostly sort of organic or network effect related tactics so that you grow it. That means that you shouldn't just pour money more and more and more there uh, mm -hmm. to grow. So at the beginning, like one of the things that helped a lot, uh, sorry, in the, in the second phase that helped a lot was starting with some on the ground tactics, thanks to the destination manager. So the destination managers help a lot on, no, no, okay, in order to find the right supply, I'm gonna help with this. We're gonna go, uh, you know, to this specific, um, you know, radio stations, or I'm gonna partner mm -hmm. up with this, or I'm gonna find fan clubs, etc. so it's easier. And, and then from there on, for the demand generation, it's also a combination of both, you know, paid, organic, and also local tactics so that you can bring a bit more, a more a tighter sort of USP to, to their clients. And it shifted completely up to the point that now most, or no, not most, but a good proportion of the, of the sales actually come directly from the hosts. So it's not oh. that we put money. The hosts get a lot of visibility because what they do is some of them have become even like entrepreneurs or sole entrepreneurs because they see that this brings them a lot of income and they say, okay, actually this can become a main income source. So I'm going to create a bit of an infrastructure around it. So I'm going to create my Instagram, you know, handle it's going to become, or even sometimes even a, a website or something. And they start getting a lot of, hey, how can I 
take part in this, etc. And since they're really well connected with us and see the value that we provide, because otherwise they would do it themselves, then mm-hmm. uh, right. we, we build the booking. So I think that's what we learned with time, because in the other, it was more like ads uh, and let's wait if we get something, you know? We were just learning on the go and then we understood that, okay, it's actually a bit more of a field work that you need to do. And it's what we do here. It's We put a lot more of effort on all the other things that you have to do a bit outside the box in order to get new customers for both supply or new, yeah, customer for supply, meaning the host or, or for demand, rather than just saying, okay, I'm gonna just switch on the, the pay marketing uh, sort of uh, trigger uh, and mm-hmm. and it's just gonna bring uh, right. booking. It's not like that. It's not easy. Yeah, it's not sustainable. Would, uh, yeah, it's not sustainable. Would you consider Airbnb experiences as some sort of competition to to what you're doing? Yeah, I, I think we consider many. We have to, in terms of the landscape, we have two two different sites. Uh, on one end, we have the the bigger players and what. In the travel industry, they're called the OTAs, so mm-hmm. Airbnb experiences, more on a personal level. But you have Viator, you have Get Your Guide, uh, Head Out, etc. Those are competition in a way that they have a lot of market share. Although yeah. you you have, I don't have the metrics here, but there's still a lot of room in terms of experiences to to tap into. But they're not specialized in sports, so they have. Uh, I don't know, for the get your guys, more food oriented, Viator uh, is more activity oriented, et cetera. Airbnb is whatever there is, but like it has, if you go to a city and you search on the experiences, it's mostly walking tours or food. It's mostly related to that. Sports is not necessarily something they're focusing specifically until last year where, or this year, sorry, where get your guys started creating more uh, sports division, but it's mostly partnering it up with properties directly which is cool, it's more top-down, but not necessarily linked to the events. And the, and the main reason why is that their tech does not support what our tech supports in terms of, you know, I'm gonna search not only by destination, which is what you, when you go to these companies, you go and search, okay, I'm gonna go to Paris. What can I do in Paris those days? With home fans, mm-hmm. you can say, okay, what can I do in Paris? Or I really wanna go to PSG. I'm gonna yeah. check all the PSG experiences. Yeah. You know, uh, and then within the product, I'm going to look for the experience that has, you know, the most basic one or I want the VIP one. So you have different layers that this don't have because they just have a, a thing there that is basically the activity. So what we try to do there is to really specialize ourselves in terms of search filters, uh, sports DNA in that sense. On the other end, we have the fragmented market of sports travel operators, as we were before, where you're constrained geographically or by category. So you have, you know, the sports, the football break company in the Netherlands, and you have the football break company in Denmark, and but they're not global, you know, they service the Netherlands. Or you have a bit more global thing, but only in a handful of products or sports, and the products are mostly transactional. So they're focusing more on the package on getting a ticket or getting a ticket in a, in a, in a hotel. We, we're trying to blend the best of both worlds to have, you know, the coverage, this this functionality tech-wise, but also, um, you know, the the speciality in, in sports so that we can aggregate as much inventory as we can in the future for it. 
But yeah, they're, they're competition, but at the same time to end my idea, they are also distribution channels. So as part of those tactics that I mentioned beforehand, you have to find ways to reach new customers and this work. They're a minority of our percentage, but it's good to also list with them and we work with them and they understand. But obviously uh, what we have them is more as another source of bookings, basically as distribution channel. And, and just as a sort of high level, question i mean uh, because you were speaking about like how the experiences market is growing and i was reading somewhere that if in today's day and age you're building something um, that caters to experiences and that's you can't go wrong because sort of the next generation that's coming up values experiences uh, way more than they do say buying a car for example yeah. i mean i don't know i'm i'm quite older compared to the gen z but i assume would you agree with that and would you agree that's where the sort of trend is going towards and the experience market is growing exponentially yeah. exponentially everything is growing i mean obviously we have the just recent uh sort of uh, low point in our history of course with the pandemic so that has helped it surge in terms of people just going out and traveling or taking part in events uh, yeah. We all live in London and we know that every day you can do something here. You know, it's incredible. It's one of the three cities in the world or four. I don't know that you can just go for whatever you want. And people are spending more and more and more and more on that rather than buying houses, etc. because also of the uh, cost of living crisis, etc. But mm -hmm. uh, in terms of travel as well, this, for instance, if, if I talk even sports, sports mm -hmm. is growing a lot sports is becoming yeah. more of an entertainment industry so you see especially now led by the us liberty media about you know the, the f1 sort of uh, shareholding and mm -hmm. they're trying to become like f1 become more like a show on uh, a side of the of the of the race etc i personally went to silverstone loved it because it was like a festival you know and there's not going to the seat and, and and watch it's more like a, a festival i think where you have music you have food you have I don't know, drinks, uh, friends, etc. So it's something like that. Sports as well, you know, the Wrexham effect here in, in Wales or uh, the Messi arrival in, in Miami, plus everything that it's around football, making it bigger, etc. So definitely there's an appetite for it. We do see it. And the, the I don't have the numbers here, the figures, but sports is going to grow. It's expected to grow. And then the first one that it's going to grow is football, actually, in that sense. And I would say that we have, uh, like, maybe it's a bit overinflated because of COVID, but yeah, it will continue growing. And the only challenge that I personally see, and this is not on behalf of Humphreys, but me, is that um, same as with uh, some neighborhoods that get gentrified, events in general are becoming too expensive. That's a bit mm. of the, the question mark there. Because you see Taylor Swift now coming here and it's like 500 pounds or whatever. And like, what? Like, who? <laughs> I mean, I've never paid, you know, for a lot. I go to a lot of concerts, but people pay it. So there's a market yeah. for it as well. And we have, we have understood that. So there are different segments. That's why, for instance, we are seeing a lot of um, growth as well in the hospitality level because people... For instance, we when we do everything here in the in the UK, especially for the Premier League and the top clubs, it's hospitality only, and people just want to go because they want to experience that uh, at least once, and they want to have you know as I might as well spend some pounds you know to have the the best experience and comfort, 
uh, rather than, you know, trying to find a ticket here and there, or we're a group and we can sit together, et cetera. So I want the, the whole experience because that's also an experience. So yeah, my, my only question, Mark, is where, where is the ceiling in terms of price? But definitely there's, there's an appetite for it. Sweet. Uh, I think we can uh, we can head towards the end. I guess to to go towards the end, maybe if we can put in context the fact that you know you're not from the UK. Uh, you're someone who did the whole thing of quitting their job, moving countries, packing everything in a bag, and coming to the UK with this dream of doing something that you wanted to do. Um, a, could you tell us a little bit about just like particular challenges to not being someone from the UK and trying to start something in terms of, you know, there's like visa stuff everyone has to go through and it's it's kind of always easier to work a job and uh, when you're traveling in a different country. And then what are some of the like particular challenges you faced with respect to being an outsider, so to speak? Uh, and then just uh, end it with a little bit about where you see the next few years going for you personally and, and for home fans. Perfect. So the first one, definitely the the challenge has been the well, the visas, although it's improved, I would say, after Brexit. That's a controversial <laughs> statement. But <laughs> say that for non-Europeans, we leveled up with, with the others. So yes, uh, I would say the, the path that I chose, it wasn't even thinking about a visa. It was more like I needed to come here and understand how I can tap into the industry somehow. And one thing or another just led me to say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go and I'm gonna start something by myself rather than being employed. Uh, yes. Fortunately, and it's still, I think it's still, still valid. Uh, there's like an option for people who study in the UK that if you're part of a master's or undergrad, et cetera, you can apply for, I don't know the name now, but it's like back then it was entrepreneur visa where you can with way more flexibility now because for instance when i did it i couldn't work in anything else now people can work up to several hours etc you can sort of develop your idea the only requisite or prerequisite is that you need to pitch you know like as if you would go to an investor and say okay this is even if it's an idea this is what i'm thinking about doing and i need you know this and this or that it's not even asking for money it's more like hey, let me stay and i can develop that and unfortunately happened to me um and then it's more about you know keeping not keeping updated but the, the whole process before was a bit harder right now it's a bit more flexible to settle here you know and and, and stay so i would say that on that end it's a bit more of a challenge but it's doable if you are organized and, and you're really really passionate about what you want to do um, and, and, and then you're just to ask this question before I forget, I've had it in my mind the whole time. Why did you uh, think that the UK was the right place to go and start HomeFans, uh, given that you guys are not like it's not your biggest market and so on, and you're not familiar? It is, it is our biggest market from, from the customer base. But actually, the, the main reason why we started HomeFans here is that uh i was oh i was living here uh i wanted to come here to be part of the industry and football wise the uk is the main hub uh, mm -hmm. so yeah uh that was more a personal decision first and then in terms of business uh there are i mean you could argue that there are some other countries where let's say 
I'm going to put it like out there, like you don't have tax or whatever, you know, there are different options, but within Europe, we see that in terms of the sort of ecosystem, uh, if you follow the entrepreneurial path, for instance, you have tax relief schemes here. So we've raised money with uh, SEIS scheme or the EIS enterprise investment scheme that make it easier for you as an entrepreneur to, you know, get funding because investors will get a tax relief uh, and, 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 and will be more incentivized to do it. But on top of that, as, as I answered, Bruna, well, our customer base is, is mostly like the first, the number one is British. Mm-hmm. So, and coming back to your, to your question, uh, Jean, like where do we, we see myself, et cetera, we, we want to grow yeah. home funds. Uh, this has been the best year ever. We have been not only growing, uh, but being cash positive, sustainable, the whole, the current landscape in terms of entrepreneurs and, you know, the, the ecosystem and, you know, fundraising is been way, way more challenging in the sense that this, that funds themselves need to compete with high interest rates, etc. So the new modus operandi is actually try to be cash positive, try to be sustainable rather than just burn money and, and grow for the sake of growing. We've grown. That's really, really good. And we have an exciting next year ahead where we want to grow further, not only geographically, but also with multi-sports offering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, but our, our ultimate vision in terms of the exit strategy is that when we fulfill that idea of moving from you know, all across Europe, the UK, and jumping into the States, we have mm-hmm. sort of created something so unique that a bigger player can acquire us and, you know, yeah. uh, sort of incorporate the sports vertical to their offering. That's a bit of our, our vision. And we're working towards that, not only in terms of the roadmap, but also with the mm-hmm. tech. So how, uh, in terms of integration, how easily would we integrate to other tech platforms in what we're building so that it's kind of a, uh, bypass basically no, rather than, you know, yeah is if it there that rather than something mm-hmm. that has to be done from from scratch because we have a value now in what we build in terms of supply and demand but the tech also is becoming more and more important in that sense as a third pillar for that so so we see that of course um you know there, there's different avenues but for now what we prioritize is basically let's grow sustainably uh mm-hmm. let's accelerate if we can so we have started conversations with investors again, et cetera, because we didn't want to get any investment because we were cash positive. We were focusing more on growing. But if there is an opportunity to get on board someone who can add a lot of value as partners in the sports or the marketplace sort of uh, verticals, then then happy to welcome them, accelerate that growth, fulfill that roadmap, and then perhaps uh, be acquired if that's the exit strategy. Amazing. Uh, awesome! Yeah, I hope that I hope that works out. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Thank you so much, Daniel, for your time and for sharing all that you just shared. I'm sure it was super inspiring and super helpful for everyone. It was for us for sure. No, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for your time. And yeah, just the, the last one. Uh, bit of publicity. If anyone wants to know more about Homefans, it's homefans.net. You can follow us on Instagram at homefans. Thank you. Thank you so much, Daniel. Really really inspiring.